Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today, we're going to look at what it means to embrace our feminine design. And before we dive into that topic, I wanted to let you know that we have a limited time giveaway for our Ellerslie Discipleship Training Program here in Windsor, Colorado for our summer and fall 2020 training programs. We have week-long and five-week programs, and we're able to give away 12 full-ride scholarships to those programs this year. So between now and March 20th, you can go to ellerslie.com to enter to possibly win one of those 12 spots. It would be such a blessing to meet you in person, to have you here in Colorado, and to spiritually invest into your life through these programs. So again, it's ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. And if you enter between now and March 20th, you may win one of those full ride scholarships to our week long or five week programs this year. I would love to see you in person. So let's look at our topic for today embracing our God given feminine design. Genesis 1.17 is a very simple scripture, but it's one that is causing a lot of confusion in our culture today. And it simply says, male and female, he, meaning God, created them. You wouldn't think something that basic and that simple would be so controversial, and yet in our culture today, it's probably the source of the greatest controversy and the greatest confusion. I remember being in a tea room with my young daughters a few Christmases ago, and it was a very quaint, old-fashioned tea room with china teacups, and the only thing strange about it was that our server was uh, a guy who was dressed like a girl, and the girls were really confused about this, my little girls. They didn't, they'd never really seen that before, and of course, it's very common now in our culture, but even a few years ago, it was something they hadn't seen And on the drive home, I had to sort of explain to them that, okay, yeah, he wasn't trying to be funny. He was really just confused about who God made him to be. And that's why he was trying to be like a girl, even though he was born as a boy. Now, that's such a controversial statement, and yet it's so basic to the way God created the world. It's very easy to feel frustrated and helpless as we watch that sexual identity chaos that is swirling around us. My mom was with us that day that we saw that at the tea room, and she made the comment that when my brothers and I were growing up, she never would have had to explain that kind of thing to us because it was not as common as it is today. But with my kids, I'm having to constantly deal with it and explain it all the time. But really, instead of trying to address that issue from a political or a social perspective, we first really need to address it within our own souls. Instead of pointing the finger at people around us and saying, well, they're doing this wrong, they're doing that wrong, let's begin with ourselves. In such a time as this, each of us need to prayerfully grapple with the question, am I willing to wholeheartedly embrace God's design for me as a woman? It's so interesting how that one question can trigger a lot of negative emotions for a lot of us. That idea of the role of a woman can be a sensitive topic, not just culturally, but definitely on a personal level as well. Whether maybe you've been hurt by an abusive man or smothered by oppressive ideas of what a woman's life should look like, a lot of us have lost sight of God's vision for womanhood. And some of us associate being a woman with being belittled or controlled or rejected or looked down on or even worse. 
But when we clear away the blur, the fog of humanly contrived versions of what womanhood is supposed to be, and we take an unhindered look at God's design for femininity, it's really something beautiful, something that each of us would be very excited to wholeheartedly embrace. So in this podcast, I'm going to attempt to take the first step at clearing some of the cultural fog that surrounds this issue and just freshly look at God's vision for womanhood and really the topic of womanhood is so vast, but I want to start by simply addressing two of the most common cultural myths about our identity as women and replace them with the amazing reality of God's design. You may or may not be personally struggling with these two myths, but chances are you know someone or you will soon encounter someone who is. And it's really critical to know God's heart on these matters. Regardless of the intensity of the struggle or the confusion surrounding this issue, there is one fact that we can bank on. God's truth sets free. So I'd really like to tackle these myths head on and replace cultural lies with the power of God's truth. Now, the first myth that we see so commonly around us today, and maybe you've even struggled with some thoughts like this yourself, goes something like this. Maybe I was born the wrong gender. We live in a culture that loudly insists we have the right to choose what gender we want to be. If we don't like the gender that we were born into, we can just decide to become the other. I remember reading one time about an article of a man who gave birth to a baby, and it, of course, the title intrigued me. And I, I read a little closer and realized it was actually a woman, someone who was born female, but decided to become a man, quote unquote, through hormonal drugs. And outwardly, she started to take on a masculine appearance. But once she decided she wanted to have a child, she had to forsake those masculine qualities. She had to go off the hormonal drugs. She had to allow her body to once again function like a woman's body. And the reason was because even the most advanced science cannot achieve pregnancy and childbirth in anything else but the female body. So despite her efforts to forsake her God-given femininity, she couldn't erase what he had designed her to be, which was a woman. Now, when we try to question and alter our God-given gender, we are in essence rebelling against our creator. We're saying to God, you got it wrong. I don't like being a woman. I should have been born a man. I'm going to try to correct the mistake that you made. But God does not make mistakes. And rejecting our God-given gender is like spitting in his face and saying that we know better than him. He made us women on purpose and all of his creation was very good. We really only find heartache when we rebel against God by rejecting the very design for which we were created. But there is such great joy and fulfillment when we willingly accept what God has assigned and appointed us to be. One of the best books on this is called Let Me Be a Woman by Elizabeth Elliot. And in that book, she wrote this. All creatures, with two exceptions that we know of, have willingly taken the places appointed to them. The Bible speaks of angels who rebelled and therefore were cast down out of heaven and of the fall of man. Adam and Eve were not satisfied with the place assigned. They refused the single limitation set to them in the Garden of Eden and thus brought sin and death into the world. What sort of world might it have been if Eve had refused the serpent's offer and had said to him instead, let me not be like God. Let me be what I was made to be. Let me be a woman. Wow. Let me be what I was made to be. What incredible freedom comes when we choose to agree with that one simple idea. 
If you have struggled with discontentment about your womanhood or confusion about your gender or dissatisfaction with what God made you to be, I want to challenge you with an important question. Are you willing to trust your creator? God lovingly and purposefully created you as a woman. Your womanhood is not the result of random chance. It's a sacred appointment given to you as a gift by the very same creator who formed the heavens and earth. Are you willing to trust that the divine hand which shaped the mountains and positioned the stars also designed you in perfect wisdom? Even if you have never struggled with gender frustration or confusion, it is so refreshing to be reminded of that truth because God is wisdom itself. There is nothing in his creation that is haphazard or random, including us. He has a beautiful, purposeful design for our lives. He created you as a woman. He created me as a woman at this time in history with our own unique qualities on purpose. Our response to that amazing fact shouldn't be rebellion or being disgruntled, but delight and worship and gratitude and acceptance, not just with regard to being a woman, but with regard to every other aspect of who he created us to be. Just think about this. He gave you unique physical characteristics. He gave you a certain temperament. He made you the specific nationality you are. He appointed you to live at this time in history. He allowed you to have specific strengths and specific weaknesses. He placed you in the family that he did. None of these things are mistakes on the part of our creator. So instead of complaining about his handiwork, let's accept it joyfully. Let's let God be God. He is the creator. We are the creation. And his work is very good always. Now, the second myth that a lot of us struggle with, and maybe this is one you struggle with more than the gender issue, and that is saying this, embracing my role as a woman will be restrictive and oppressive. Now, I've spent my entire life in Christian circles, and I've been exposed to a lot of different ideas throughout the years of what a woman's role is supposed to look like. I've seen the gamut of extremes. I've seen churches where men are passive and women are the pastors and the decision makers. And I've seen churches where men are arrogantly controlling and women are treated as if their only purpose in life is to serve men. Neither one of those attitudes reflects God's design. There is so much confusion today about womanhood, and that confusion has spilled over into the church. Some Christians try to balance the culture's ideas about female superiority by swinging the opposite direction and disregarding the value of women. Others who are motivated by social approval jump on the feminist bandwagon and disregard the value of men. And of course, there are plenty of variations between those two extremes. I remember about 10 years ago, two different books about womanhood emerged onto the Christian scene. Both of them became extremely popular and made very strong arguments about the purpose of womanhood. The books were polar opposite in their viewpoints, which is rather ironic. The first book challenged women to embrace their God-given role as helpers to their husbands, which of course is based on a biblical concept. But the writer of this book took those principles beyond merely helping and serving to create an image of godly womanhood that was not only demeaning, but downright humiliating. And that was not just my opinion reading it as a woman. I knew many godly men, including my husband, that were outraged by this book. The second book, though, took a totally different vantage point. It was challenging women to shake off the unrealistic expectations of the church and the culture and just be whatever they wanted to be. It actually mocked Proverbs 31. It implied that women were biblically justified in focusing on themselves, and it cautioned against women serving others because it would quote-unquote lead to exhaustion and a loss of self-expression. 
It's no wonder why we are so confused about what godly womanhood really is. A lot of us shy away from fully embracing our role as women because we don't understand God's perspective on womanhood. We've only seen humanly contrived ideas of what womanhood is supposed to be. And believe me, I have struggled with those humanly contrived ideas various times throughout my Christian walk. But despite the many humanly contrived versions of the female role that so often creep into the church, the reality is there is nothing in God's design for womanhood that is meant to be oppressive or miserable. Neither is there anything in God's design that says women should take a superior position to men. The only way to fulfill our real calling and purpose as women is to set aside human ideas and adopt God's perspective on womanhood. God's true purpose for womanhood may seem like a difficult vision to grasp, but really scripture is not at all silent on this issue. Let's take a quick look at what the Bible says. The Bible does express different roles for men and women, but it also makes it abundantly clear that God created men and women equally. One is not better than another. In fact, Paul says directly in Galatians 3.28 that there is neither male nor female for we are all one in Christ. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither male nor female for we are all one in Christ. And we see this principle really beautifully demonstrated through the life of Christ. He didn't treat women as lesser than men. One of the first people to whom Jesus publicly declared himself the Messiah was the woman at the well. He publicly defended the woman who washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And he defended Mary who poured out her spikenard on his head. He rescued a woman who was about to be stoned by a crowd of self-important men and he quietly put them all to shame. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared first to a woman and appointed her with the task of sharing the most important news that has ever existed with his disciples. It's clear that Jesus placed a high value on women and his life continually communicated their worth and significance within his kingdom. And knowing that, we also must not forget that it is quite clear in scripture that men have great worth and significance to him as well. We can't take these biblical proofs of the value of women and run the other direction where suddenly women become better than men. Now, what about the question of marriage? Does God excuse men being harsh and domineering over their wives, as we see in many Christian circles today? The opposite is true. God commands husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's in Ephesians 5.25. There is no place in that kind of love for selfish, controlling arrogance. Men are definitely called to lead and to protect, but they are never called to control or belittle. Christ's love is outward focused, it's selfless, and it's sacrificial. The simple fact that God goes out of his way to tell men that this is how they ought to treat their wives is a clear glimpse of his great value upon women. Now, of course, just as men are called to love their wives with the sacrificial love of Christ, women are also called to love and serve their husbands with the very same kind of servant-hearted love. It is not supposed to be a one-way street in either direction. Neither husbands nor wives will actually be able to demonstrate this kind of love perfectly at all times. It requires the enabling grace of God, and that can only flow out of a close walk with Jesus Christ. So to be an excellent marriage partner, whether you're a husband or a wife, the best thing to do is to cultivate a daily intimate walk with him. If you find yourself in a marriage where your husband is not living out this kind of Christ-like love, you can go to setapartgirl.com and look at the article called The Return of Honorable Manhood. And there are a few episodes within this podcast as well on inspiring men to rise to a higher standard. 
Now, what about the common idea that godly womanhood means a weak, mousy woman whose only real purpose in life is to cook or sew? Is that a biblical notion? I remember growing up around someone who, he was a young man who was so convinced that the Bible was very clear that a woman who was really going to be godly had to stay home all day and do laundry. And I never liked being around that person very much because it just felt so depressing to me. I I had a bigger vision for my life than staying home and doing laundry. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with laundry or cooking or sewing. That could be definitely a big part of what you're called to as a woman. But according to God's word, there is a lot more to godly womanhood than just developing domestic skills. In fact, one place in scripture where we can catch a glimpse of God's amazing vision for womanhood is in Proverbs 31. Now, I know what you might be thinking, but just keep listening. I used to shy away from that chapter because, like I said, I'd been around Christians who used those verses to promote the idea that the only thing women could do was housework all day long to the point of sheer exhaustion. But then I took a deeper look at Proverbs 31, and I've done other podcasts on this before, so I'm just going to go through it quickly. But Proverbs 31 is so amazing and so beautiful in its portrayal of true womanhood. It says, who can find a virtuous woman? The word virtuous often makes us think of a timid little woman who spends her day knitting in a rocking chair, but actually the word virtuous in this context means nothing of the sort. Virtuous actually comes from a masculine noun that means strength, might, valor, and power. In other words, a virtuous woman is mighty, valiant, and valorous. She's full of strength and conquering power. It's the very same word that is used to describe the valiance of David when the Lord chose him to be Israel's mighty king where he says, I've seen, a son, I've seen the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is a mighty man of valor, a man of war, and the Lord is with him. Now, David's valor was unmatched. His power was truly superhuman because it came from God. He killed lions and bears, and he killed Goliath, and he valiantly led armies into battle. It's that same type of valor that marks the Proverbs 31 woman. She possesses a heavenly heroic strength that comes from God, not from within herself. And that's such an important distinction because it's so easy to take those verses once you know what they mean and say, okay, I am woman, hear me roar. But that has nothing to do with the kind of strength that God is talking about here. Strength, godly strength, and God-infused strength is the chief quality of the Proverbs 31 woman. It's mentioned three times throughout the chapter in addition to that virtuous, valiant opening description of this woman's life. But again, this kind of amazing womanly strength is so different from the modern feministic lioness type of woman who forcefully seeks to prove herself to the world. Proverbs 31 strength is not based on human ability that showcases the glory of a woman. It is based on supernatural valor that showcases the glory of God. The godly woman in this chapter is not a timid, mousy woman who sits in a quarter and knits all day, but she's also not a crusader who fights for her own rights. Simply put, she is busy about her father's business. She is a rescuer. She's a teacher. She's an influencer. She's even a savvy businesswoman. She's both a servant and a leader. She is respected and active in her community and in her home. She willingly pours out her life for others out of love and joy, not duty or drudgery. And though she's outward focus, she is not bedraggled and exhausted. Her life is marked by beauty, dignity, nobility, and purpose. That is such a powerful and life-giving example of heroic world-changing womanhood. 
It is truly impossible to rise up to that picture of womanhood in our own strength. And if we try to do that, it will only lead to discouragement and exhaustion. And that's why a lot of people discount Proverbs 31 because they're trying to do it in their own strength. It's when we yield our lives to Christ and abide in him that he begins to build those qualities within us, not through striving, not through effort, but through yieldedness and surrender to him. Embracing God's pattern for womanhood does not lead to misery or weakness, but joy and strength, the strength of God. So when we clear away the cultural fog about womanhood and we grasp God's true vision for femininity, like I said earlier, we will gladly embrace his sacred calling upon our lives as women because his ways are perfect. So here are some final thoughts that I want to share with you. I encourage you to set aside others' ideas of what womanhood is supposed to be and gladly embrace God's vision for your femininity. His plans for you are good. Remember, Jesus did not come to this earth to bring bondage and oppression, but freedom and life. It is always safe to trust the one who sacrificed everything for us. And here's a powerful quote I'd like to finish with from Elizabeth Elliot. She said, to understand the meaning of womanhood, we have to start with God. If he indeed is creator of all things visible and invisible, he is certainly in charge of all things visible and invisible, stupendous and minuscule, magnificent and trivial. Let's let him be God. And that is what leads to true joy and true peace. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to take this deeper, go to setapartgirl.com and look at the many resources that we have available for you there about living a Christ-centered life. And go to ellersley.com to enter the giveaway for our 2020 programs. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.